Pastor Roy called me probably about a month ago and asked me if I'd be able to fill the pulpit for him today in his absence. <clears throat> he didn't tell me I'd be dealing with a snowstorm. He didn't tell me there'd be a whole lot of visitors here, and I do thank you for coming. Um, some of you may not know, I see Pastor Rose and his wife sitting there from Hope Alliance, and thank you for coming this morning. There's several other people. I see people from other churches here in town. I do need to give a shout out. The Rapid City Christian School basketball team is here. I just think it's great. They uh, can't play basketball out in the snow anyway, so this is a good place to be. But neither did I, what I told him I would do this, that uh, I wasn't thinking about the fact that we would be caught in between Christmas and New Year's. Um, I was more concerned if I had the date available, and I checked the calendar, and I did, but after we hung up, and I got to thinking about, oh, it's that Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's, and how are you going to get people to think about what you want to say, and first of all, and what do you want to talk about? And so I got to thinking about, well, it's time for doing New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's about the way I feel about them, too, you know. Uh, so I got a lot of enthusiasm there. Um, but New Year's and resolutions, I don't, I don't really make resolutions. Sometimes I think about them. Some people tell me they do. Uh, if you're looking forward to next year at all, does anybody realize we're going to have an election next year? <laughs> uh, if you're hiding under a rock somewhere, you might not realize it. Uh, also, did you know there's going to be an Olympics Summer Olympics is next year in Tokyo. Um, that ought to be fun, having all of the conversations that we have, and I'm using a kind word for it, about election and having the Olympics going on. But it's from a 2004 Olympics that I really took the title for my sermon today. I uh, will we'll get this. Sorry, Anthony, and I, th I think I'm there. Yeah, sorry. Um, what are you aiming at? In the 2004 Olympics, a man named Matt Emmons, who was an expert marksman, <clears throat> had one gold in his pocket and another one almost there. He'd already won in the prone position, the rifle shoot. He'd already won a gold medal, and somebody had tinkered with his rifle, unbeknownst to him, while it was locked up, and somebody got in his locker and took a screwdriver to it, so he had to borrow a rifle. In the last round, he was in the three position, the standing and kneeling and prone, and his last go round was gonna be the standing, and he already had a good enough score to win another gold medal. And he took his shots, and he scored an 8.1, plenty of points for the gold medal. But he actually fell from first to fourth, no medal at all, because he aimed at the wrong target. The target that he shot at was, was great, but it wasn't his. It was somebody else's. I don't, you know, I don't know what somebody else did, but they said he scored at 8.1, but it's just like not scoring at all. 
if you um, don't shoot at your own target, you know. So he got a zero. Fell from first to fourth. This gets me to, and by the way, Matt Emmons has gone on since then to win. I think he's won two golds and two silvers and two bronze the last time I looked in subsequent Olympics uh, competitions. So he's really an expert, and he also kind of, people interview him about this, and he sort of just brushes it off and says, well, you know, I mean, it happened, it happened, and life goes on, and which is true. But this idea, what are you, what are you aiming at in our spiritual lives? I'd like you to, if you could, gather your thoughts together and consider with me, uh, in your spiritual lives, are you aiming at the right thing? Um, I want you to, if you go to Matthew 23, 1 through 7. <clears throat> I got to looking in the Bible for this idea of what are you aiming at and uh, the things that I'd like us to think about here this morning. So if you can, read this with me. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, now just to, let's stop right here, let's because I don't want to jump into this, you need to know what is going on here with Jesus when he's speaking to the crowds and to the disciples. If Matthew has got things in order here, Jesus has been dealing in chapter 22 with scribes and Pharisees and church leaders, and he's been carrying on a kibitz with them. And this is just after some Pharisee thought he would ask him a smart question, and what's the greatest commandment in, you know, in all the Bible, or at that time would be the Old Testament. And Jesus had told him to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second's just like it, like Ted, Ted was talking about, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what he's been doing. He's been kibitzing with the church leaders. It is also after the triumphal entry. And he's in Jerusalem. And he's in these days, he's teaching out on the Mount of Olives and then coming back into town and and teaching in the streets. So this is a situation, a teaching situation for Jesus. And what I want you to think about here, it says he's talking to the crowds and to his disciples. And um, <clears throat> these church leaders, these Pharisees, they're off to the side. They're listening. So Jesus is using this technique of talking to the crowd, but he's really talking to the Pharisees, if you, if you look at what's going on here. So... Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. What are you aiming at? You're aiming at outward appearances. There's a phrase in there where Jesus said, everything they do is for show. We'll get back to that in just a minute. Or are you looking for the Lord's will for your life? Now I'd ask you to think about it honestly with yourself. 
appearances? Or Lord, what's your will? Or works to gain God's favor? I'm going to have more to say about this, but this is buried in the scripture that we just looked there. Or works in response to God's grace. Do you do things because you love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind? Or you do them because you think God is keeping score? And finally, keeping the rules and rituals or improving your relationship with our Creator. It's pretty easy for us to get in the routine of where we're keeping the rules and rituals, the laws, we, you know, even to the idea. I remember when I was a boy, I thought it was a rule that we had to go to church every Sunday morning. I mean, I'd, it was just something that we absolutely had no question about. And now, I'm not saying it's not a good idea to do that. I'm just saying that it seemed like when I was growing up in grade school that that was just a rule and a ritual that we obeyed, whether, whether it was <laughs> storming outside or not. So let's go back to our uh, Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 7. And I want us to look at uh, this first one about the works for show, doing things for appearances. The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law so, of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but and don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. And if you go down, everything they do is for show. Um, Jesus is clearly telling the Pharisees and, and the people there that are willing to listen to him that doing things for show is not going to cut it in the final analysis. And I'm just, you know, asking us this morning, is it possible that we do that? Uh, are we concerned about what others think? Maybe we should be, but in relation, our relationship with Christ, it should not be for show. Let me tell you, give you an example of what I'm talking about here. When we were living in Rapid City, there used to be a subway store out in the, what we, we called the Gap. It's out in between the East and West Rapid somewhere in there we'd, where they divide the, the 7701 to 7702 in your zip code. But um, I went in for lunch at the Subway store, and you know how the is you get in line, and this was during the noon hour, and you get in line and you name your bread and you, you know the, all the things you want on it, what meat, and you, you go through the line. And there were several people ahead of me, and up towards the front of the line up there, was a man <clears throat> taller than me, like most people are. But, <laughs> but he had a cowboy hat on. So he really kind of stood out. And I, and I saw him up there, and um, he got his tray and had his sandwich on it and went over and got his drink. And, and then that particular store, I was out there not too long ago, and that store is not there anymore. But there was an overhead window up there so light would shine in where people were sitting and, um, when they stayed there to eat their sandwich. But he went back there and found a table to sit down at, and then he proceeded to lift his hat off his head straight up. I think it was about, as, in my mind's eye, it was about as far as his eye would reach, bring it down and put it over his chest, and looked up at that window and proceeded to pray for his meal. And when he got done, he put the hat back on his head and proceeded to eat. 
I couldn't help but think about Jesus' words, everything they do is for show. Now, I didn't know this man. I knew who this man was. I knew him. Maybe I shouldn't tell you this. This has been years ago. But he was a preacher at a small church out on the north side of town. And I just felt like, you know, I think it's a great thing to stop and thank God for your food and provision and for his goodness to us and ask him to bless it. After all, Jesus did that example for us. I think it's a good thing. But I couldn't help but wonder, is that the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about here? You know, when you take that extra step so that it's for show, I think so. Um, Jesus is not asking us. He's asking us for a relationship, not for things that we can do on show. My second point, working for salvation. And you're probably going to say to yourself, I've heard this so much I don't need to hear it again, but I, I hang on with me here. In the middle part of of this scripture lesson, they crushed people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. They don't show any compassion, but they want everybody else to work for their religious beliefs. They want everybody else to do unbearable things. Some of the kinds of things that that we're talking about here is that you could not move a chair on the Sabbath. Uh, If you spilt something on the Sabbath, you couldn't wipe it up. There's just a, there was a whole list of things like that that you won't find in the Old Testament, but the Pharisees had made up so they could control the people. But working for our salvation, um, I'm pretty sure that we're all familiar with this verse, or these two verses, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, And this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. Now put a little note down there. This is counterintuitive in our culture. And that's why I think it's a problem. I really feel like that most of us really, if we're just really, really honest with ourselves, think that God is keeping score. Because look at our culture. Everything we do, if we work hard, we get successful, right? If I work hard, I'll be CEO of a company, or if I work hard, you know, I'll be the supervisor of the evening shift at McDonald's or something. What? Think about it. That's our culture. If I work hard, I can get an A in class and school. Um, I can't think of anything that we do in our culture that doesn't relate to working hard and getting rewarded for it. It's the way we live. I, my fear, really, in, in, all, of, in my, all my three points this morning, this is the one that I'm most concerned about because I feel like that sometimes I may be doing that too. When you go to visit an older person in the nursing home or something like that, do you? I think I might have touched something wrong here.
Well, I apologize. This thing is really touchy. Let me finish with my last point, though, about um, working for your salvation. <clears throat> and um, I feel like that we can that we can get into that routine um, ourselves, and it will overlap into our spiritual lives. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. Uh, some of you may have read the book by Kyle Eidelman called Not a Fan. In there he's got a chapter that addresses some of these kinds of things. And he, um, he talks about in the classroom, and our, and our high school boys here will relate to this. He said when he was a senior in high school and in his chemistry class, he had a teacher named Mr. Hollingsworth. And on the last day of the class, when you had final exams, he had all his exams there, and he said... He passed out his exams and told everybody to put them face down on your desk in front of you. I have some specific directions for you. So after he had passed out the exam to everybody, he said, okay, turn over your exam. Now, listen closely. I have some, I have some directions for you. I want you to go through and read every question before you answer the first one. Just read all the way down through it. That's all I'm asking you to do, and then complete the test. So they started reading, and Kyle Eidelman says, I started reading, and I got down to the last question. And here it said, if you've read this far, sign your name on the front of the exam and turn it in. You've got an A. You don't have to answer the questions. So he said, I and two or three other people turned in our exam kind of early, but other people read halfway through the questions and went back to the front and started answering because they could... They knew some answers, you know, so they started filling it in. Um, but part of the last question had told them, if you insist upon doing the exam, uh, you'll be graded on whatever you do. But if you, if you do what I tell you, you can have an A. Isn't God's grace like that? Do you get it? We, he didn't have to do anything. God's grace is free. You can get your A by signing your name at the top of the sheet and turning it in because it's by God's grace that you're saved, not by works. If it could be by works, how much work do you have to do? I remember one time I did something for a pastor's wife and I don't know, I spent a good share of a day doing that and when I got all done, and I hadn't thought about this, but she says, I bet you you have a whole stack of gold bricks laid up for you in heaven. I'd not, that still sticks with me today. I hadn't even thought about being rewarded for doing it. I was doing it because she needed some help and, and so did some other people in, in this situation. But I'm wanting to make the point, and really, and I'm kind of dwelling on it extra long, I think... We have to be careful with this because the idea that God's grace is so free that it's counterintuitive in our culture. And we don't think like that most of the time if we're going to have to make an effort to recognize that God's grace is free to us. Okay, and my last one, I've talked about works for show and, and we cannot work for our salvation and we're still talking here, and Jesus makes one more point in this particular section of Scripture. Keep the rules versus a relationship. 
So if we go down here in verse 5, on their arms they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. Um, I don't know if you know it or not, uh, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees wore specific robes so they could be identified. And on those robes, I've, I've read about this, that they would wear long tassels that would come out behind them or draped down on them, you know, because they were just, they wanted to be identified easily and um, <clears throat> they wanted people to notice them. So I also need to make a remark about these extra wide prayer boxes. These were called phylacteries and um, these phylacteries were little boxes that they would put on their foreheads or wear strapped to their arm and they would have scripture verses inside those boxes. Now, where in the world would they get an idea like that? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy, this is Moses writing before he's going to turn the children of Israel over to Joshua and lead them into the promised land. Moses doesn't get to go, but he's writing Deuteronomy, and he says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. 1,400 years later, the church leaders are doing the last part down here Literally, tying them on their hands, wearing them on their forehead in these boxes. And do you know, I looked up, I, I googled this and found out that there was people and some uh, who looked into this. This is actually one of the sections of scripture that was in the box. Most of them had similar scriptures. Other scriptures had to do with remembering when they were brought out of Egypt and into the promised land and so on. But I don't know how many of you read this and, and you assume that Moses is speaking metaphorically here, but um, keeping the rules became uh, very, very important. So important that they would wear them where everybody could see them on their arms and on their foreheads. That is not what Jesus, what Jesus is really wanting, and he's just told them, that's why I brought it up earlier, just told them, that the most important commandment in the entire Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and your neighbor as yourself. So, I think I have an example for you of what it means to keep the rituals and the rules, and this might kind of describe a little bit of what we mean by this, because I think we all keep certain rules and rituals, even when we come to church, there's certain things that we do. Um, it looks all jumbled up in here to me this morning because people are not, we have visitors here and they're not people that are normally sitting over there. You know, where's, where's the older ladies that normally sit over there? <laughs> people always say, we have rituals that we fall into whether we really realize it or not. And you can, when you're up here, you can recognize who's here and not here just by where people sit. But <clears throat> let me talk to you about a, a man named John. In fact, John Akers is his name. And this happened in the late 1980s. Um, John didn't go to work one day. He needed to do chores at home. So he put on 
old grubby things. He had an old pair of jeans and an old pair of tennis shoes he put on. He was out mowing his grass, and he remembered that there was something that he needed to talk to with his banker. So he stopped mowing the grass, got in the car, and went to see his banker at the bank. Well, to get into the parking lot, he had to get a ticket because uh, it was paid parking there. So he got his ticket, and he went inside the bank, and he told the receptionist there, um, I don't know, probably, I think we were calling him receptionist then, probably call him account representatives or something now, and I honestly don't know if it was a man or a woman, that doesn't really matter. But he said, I'd like to see Mr. So-and-so, who was the, the bank president, uh, just go back and tell him that John Akers is here and would like to speak to him. And the person said, do you have an appointment? He said, no, but if you go back and tell him that John Akers is here, I'm sure he'll say it's okay. And as soon as he's, if he's busy, I'll wait a minute, but just let him know I'm here. Well, you can't see him if you don't have an appointment. And he said, well, won't you even go and tell him that I'm here? And the receptionist said, no, uh, you don't have an appointment, so there's no point in me back there. We're, we're under strict rules here to not let anybody come back there and go see him if, uh, if you don't have an appointment. And he finally said, well, okay. Uh, will you stamp my ticket so I can have my parking paid for? Well, you can't get your ticket stamped unless you do a business transaction. And he said, well, I can't talk to the president because you won't let me and now you won't even let me pay for my part. You can't, we can't stamp your ticket. That's the rules uh, unless you do a business transaction. So he went over to the counter. He took out a counter check and wrote out a check for, I don't know, I've heard it was up nearly a million dollars and signed his name and handed it to the receptionist and said, here, I'm closing my account because you're more interested in keeping the rules than you are in having a relationship. You see, John Akers was CEO of the IBM Corporation. He was also chairman of the board at that time. And I'm, you know, this is, I've seen this story over and over again, the, the amounts of money that he wrote out the check for, and I never did hear what exactly what happened because I think probably the receptionist went back to see the boss <laughs> with this kind of a check. But I'm told that he actually closed his account but do you, see what we're, do you see what I'm talking about here? Keeping the rules versus a relationship. And it might sound kind of simple, but I think we all can kind of fall into that routine. Of, I keep the certain rules, you know, I do certain things on Sunday, I do certain things on Monday, I even pray for certain people on certain days, and I'm just kind of ad-libbing here on the kinds of things that can get us into a routine where we can feel like the things that we are doing just great and there may be nothing wrong with them. But what God is really wanting is to love the Lord with all your heart and soul and your neighbor as yourself. So in summary, let's go back and, and look at these, making sure you're aiming at the right target because I feel like Jesus, when he was talking to the crowds here, was identifying targets that was pretty easily to, easy to aim at, particularly if they were being forced into it. But practice your faith, but not for show. I use the example of praying in a restaurant. I've, I should tell you, I, 
in my mind's eye, I can remember being somewhere one time for a fairly old couple sitting at a table, reached across, but they very quietly took a few moments to, to ask the Lord to bless their food, and it was, you could almost tell it was just a wonderful occasion. But there was nothing like raising your hat and holding it over so everybody would see you. Uh, I think there are other things like that, but uh, don't practice your faith for show. Um, practice it because you love the Lord. Works because of God's grace, not because you feel like you can earn it. Um, like I said, I, I feel like that in our culture, this is one of our most dangerous things as, as Christ followers, and we like to identify ourselves that way, but I feel like that is one of the most dangerous things that, that we can get into because in our culture, as I said, it is so used to being rewarded for the things that we do because that's the way we work. And finally, it's not about keeping the rules. It's about loving God. It's about having a relationship with him. And um, <clears throat> I don't know if any of this has resonated with you this morning. Um, I pray that it has. If I have somebody in the audience here who has never given their life to Christ or knows what I'm talking about when I'm talking about aiming at the correct target, uh, channeling your thoughts and your minds towards the right things, things that would be pleasing to God and doing his will in your life, I would encourage you to uh, bow and ask him to, to be your savior. However you do that, if you want to talk to me, you're welcome to. Um, there's church elders here this morning that if you want to talk about that, you would be, uh, we would be happy to have you. But my goal this morning really was to talk primarily to people who have already made that decision and to remind them when you're looking at the new year to make sure about the target that you are aiming at. Let us pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.com. Org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.